Old English says, as the heart panteth out of the water books. So panteth after my, my soul after thee, O Lord. If you're reading it in today's language, it would be as the deer panteth after the water brooks. So panteth after my, my soul after thee, O Lord. And I feel like there's a hunger here, amen? And I, I am thankful to be with you today. I'm thankful to be with your pastor. I love Brother O'Connell, Pastor O'Connell and his wife. They're amazing people. You believe that? How many love your pastor? They are amazing people that uh, I do not get to spend enough time with because I, tr I truly mean that, that I love them very much. And you got a fabulous pastoral staff. I give everybody honor. Today, today we're going to talk about a mixture of desperation and faith that whenever you combine the two, sometimes, you know, when you combine some stuff, it can make some powerful stuff. You put it by itself, not so much. You know, you're eating mac and cheese out of a box. You just eat the cheese. You're in trouble, friend. But you mix it up with those noodles. Powerful. Let's pray together right now. Lord, we're so thankful for your goodness and your kindness. Thankful for your mercy and your grace. I pray that your hand would be upon this place today, that the Holy Ghost would move in a powerful way, that you would help us to be as a church and individuals what you want us to be. And we give you all the glory. Will you clap your hands unto the Lord and thank him for his goodness? Amen. Will you preach with me today? Amen. You may be seated. I was, um, I was in high school. I didn't get in church till I was almost 17 years old. And um, I ran on the track team when I was roughly around 16, 15, 16 years old. And I was never really fast for short distances. But I could run a long way uh, real quickly. Like I could do the mile run. And I won some of those races because I had a lot of endurance. And so when we got to the district track meet, which was in Jonesboro, coach asked us to do something that no one had done before in any of our other track meets, and that was run the two-mile run. Do we have anybody that can run the two-mile run? And I said, you know what? If I can run a mile, surely I can run two miles, right? And so I got out there on the track, and, and, I, and I didn't pace myself. I was at the beginning of that race. I took off, and I was just blowing the doors off of everybody. And uh, I was like, man, I got this one in the bag. But something happened around the sixth lap. It was like someone unplugged the electricity. And literally, you could have walked faster than I was running on that track. And eventually, one person passed me, and another person passed me, and eventually, everybody that was on the track passed me. But it got worse, because before I finished, there they went again, and they lapped me. Okay. And uh, here I was out there running on the track, had stalled the entire district track meet because they couldn't start any of the other races because I was out there running on the track. And um, when I got ready to come down the home stretch, something amazing happened in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I don't know if they thought that I was coming off of reconstructive knee surgery or what it was, but as I was going down that final home stretch, everybody in the stand stood up and gave me a standing ovation. I don't know if they were happy that it was finally over and they could move on, 
No idea. I remember I crossed the, the, crossed the line and everybody was saying, you know, stretch, walk it out. I just went over to the grass and collapsed because I couldn't breathe. But here's the thing is that I wasn't last place on that race because several people in the middle of that race, they got tired in the journey and they just kind of walked off the track. And really, honestly, there's not a lot of traffic on the second mile. Jesus was speaking to a group of people. And he told them that if a man asks you to go one mile with him, you're to go two. If someone asks you to give them your coat, then you need to give them your cloak also. Because he was saying that if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, you're going to have to go above and beyond what is asked of you. He said this because he knew that it was the propensity of man to do the bare minimum and whenever they have done whatever was required of them, walk away and be finished. Most people will do things not out of love but out of obligation. In the kingdom of God, you cannot serve God out of obligation. Because if you're doing it out of obligation, it won't be too long after that that you're going to walk off the track when things get difficult and you're going to give up. And you're going to find yourself not being a part of the kingdom because you cannot serve God out of obligation. But somewhere in your walk with God, you have got to fall in love with him from the top of your head to the very sole of your feet. And you're not going to do certain things because you're obligated to, but you're going to do certain things because you love him. Is there anybody here today that loves God with all of their heart, soul, mind, strength? It was in 1 Samuel 18 that the women of that region sang a song about David in the streets of Israel. The women came out singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs, with joy, with musical instruments. The women sang to one another and anybody that listened, and they celebrated. And the words of this song were very simple. Saul, he slain his thousands, but David, he slain his tens of thousands. These words were not just hyperbole. The, David was one tough individual. He had men that served underneath him that were called mighty men. He numbered some of them. To be in David's top 50 men, you had to have killed over 100 men in a single battle. To be numbered in David's top three, his top three that served underneath him, they had all killed over 1,000 men in one Battle. David had men under him serving, serving that had killed over a thousand men in one battle. That song that was sung about David was not hyperbole. David must have been something to behold when he was out on the battlefield and the anointing of God would land on him and he would pull the, pull the sword out of its sheath and he would go to, to work against the enemies of God. And, and he must have been something when the power of God would fall on him because we know it had to be amazing because he killed a lion and a bear with his hands. Sometimes you read stuff in the Bible and you just move right on past it. No big deal. It's like he stepped on a cockroach or something. No, he killed a lion and a bear with his hands. The men that served underneath him loved him. Many times they would stick out their, their lives on the line for him. 
And the reason that they were willing to do this was because when they were down and out, when they were called what the Bible calls desolate men, empty men, empty of anything good, like a wasteland, David found them when everybody else had given up on them and life had given up on them and now they were desolate men and he pulled them in and he loved them and he cared for them and he shepherded them and he turned them into mighty men. When nobody else loved them, the king loved them and he gave them a purpose and he cared for them when nobody else would care for them. When there was nobody else that they could turn to, when they had nowhere else to go, the king found them in the ditch that they were in of life and he loved them. And these people formed a bond with David. David and his mighty men found themselves because of this song that was sung and the jealousy that was in King Saul's heart. They found themselves hiding in caves. Running from the insane King Saul, they formed a bond and David transformed these desolate men into mighty men. And one day David is with his top three men and there is a particular well in Bethlehem that he loves to drink from. And he is just musing out loud and he says, oh, if I could have a drink from the well of Bethlehem. These three men broke through the entire camp of the Philistines. They broke through that entire army and they took a cup and dipped it down into that well that he loved and they brought him a cup of water from the well that he liked to drink from. And, and, and David ultimately took that water and said, far be it from me to drink something that would have cost you your life and he poured it out on the ground. I've heard people say, I would have slapped him if he'd have done that. I broke through, I was like, really? He killed a lion and a bear with his hands. You're going to slap a guy like that? I doubt it. But there was not a death sentence on those guys' head. He did not say, go get the water uh, and you live. If you don't, you're going to die. No, those men heard what their king wanted. And they loved their king so much that they said, we'll break through an entire army if we have to because we want to serve the king that loved us and found us when we were nobodies. I don't know about you, the things that I do, I don't worship God because I'm obligated to or that it's a heaven or hell issue, but God found me in the ditch that I was in. He reached deep to where I was, and I love him now, and I lift up my voice to him because I'm in love with the king. I want to be in his presence. I am desperate for a move of God in my life. As the deer pants after the water brook, so does my soul panteth after thee, O Lord. This psalm was written after Absalom, his son, had chased his father, David, out of the throne room, out of Jerusalem, and David was running for his life from his own beloved son. He was folding his royal robe for a makeshift pillow to sleep in a dark, dank cave all over again. He had an eerie sense of deja vu, hearkening back to the long days when he was running from a king by the name of Saul. At that time, however, though, David was not yet a 
king. He had not been accustomed to being exposed to the elements and sleeping with one eye open in case a predator came by. But this time, the fugitive David had been treated with all the royal decadence of a king for decades. He no longer herded sheep. He no longer slept out under the open sky. Now it was the norm for him to be waited on hand and foot and to enjoy every privilege that the kingdom afforded him. But most precious to him was his freedom to go into the temple any time that he wanted to. And now he is used to, used to getting a drink from the well at the temple and he misses the temple. He misses the well. He misses the presence of God. And so David grabs out his pen and he begins to write a song. This song is about a deer in the meadow. This deer gets a sense that somebody, a hunter, has got its sights on him. And catching sight of the hunter, the deer takes off running. But as he's running, he thinks about a water brook. He thinks about drinking from that water brook. So driven out of his desperation for thirst, not fearing for his own life, the deer will make his way back, even though it might cost him his life. He's going back to the water brook. He says, I've got to have a drink from that water brook. I've got to have a drink. And David began to compare the temple. And he said, my soul thirsts for the living God. And he said, if it costs me my life, I've got to be. His mind did not go back to being served a meal or servants or the kingdom or the crown. His mind said, I've got to get back to the well of God's presence. I am thirsty for a move of God. And we have got to get to that point that no matter what it costs us, no matter what price we got to pay, we are thirsty, we are hungry for a move of the Holy Ghost so bad in our lives, in our family's lives, that no matter if it costs us our entire life, we are desperate for a move of God. We got to be consumed with it. Somebody just lift your voice for just a moment and worship God. I'm going to lift your voice for just a moment. I love you, Jesus. I'm so panicked after thee, oh God. There was a preacher. There was a preacher that he was an evangelist and he had a desperate need in his life. He needed a miracle. Anybody here, you need a miracle in your life. And that evangelist had a week off, and so he went. He said, you know, he was married. He said, baby, we're going to go back to our home church. We're going to go to the survival. We just need a move of God in our lives. So he went to the store, and he bought himself a new suit, a new tie, a new shirt, new shoes. And on the first night of the revival, Pastor O'Connell, he slicked himself up as nice as he could, put on his new suit, his new tie, his new shirt, his new shoes, and he went to church and he said that the power of God began to flow. He said as the power of God began to flow, he came to the front and lifted his hands. The Holy Ghost was moving. He said the Lord spoke to him and said, roll. Now, I don't, there was a term that we used to be called way back in the day called holy rollers. And the way that we got our name was that there were people that would come to church and when the power of God would move, they'd get on the floor and they would roll about 652 miles an hour this way. And then they would roll back that way. With the holiness lifestyle, they just called them holy rollers. 
So he said he just argued with God and he didn't listen to him. He didn't get on down on the ground and roll. Got in his car and he told his wife, said, the Lord told me to roll. I didn't. And she was like, you mean to tell me? Just like a wife can. You get up there and you tell people they need to obey the voice of God and the Lord tells you to do something. He said, so the next night, I put on the worst suit I had, the worst tie I had, the worst shirt I had on. He said, and I went to church ready to roll and God never spoke to me. So, well, I got out of that. So the next night, I put back on my new suit. I put back on my new tie. I put back on my new shoes and I went to church. And he said, and the power of God began to flow and the Holy Ghost began to move. And he said, I came up the front and lifted my hands. And he said, and the Lord said, roll. This particular guy was a large fella. And he said, Lord, you know, I, I mean, I got myself ready last night, ready to roll, and you never spoke to me. And now here I am. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, okay, I'll take your miracle elsewhere. He said, hang on, Lord. He said, I got down on the ground. And he said, the next conscious thing I remember, I was underneath the pew, and my tie was all out. He said, my hair was all messed up. And uh, he said, I got in the car and asked my wife, how bad was it? And she just laughed at him. But he got his miracle because he got so hungry for a move of God in his life that it didn't matter what he had to do. He was desperate for a move of God in his life that it didn't matter if he had to get on the ground and row. He was hungry for what God was going to do in his life. There was another guy that was preaching a revival. And as he got up every night, he said, man, I would fast all day long. And I would go to church. He said, I wouldn't eat until after church that night. And I prayed that God would do miracle signs and wonders. He said, I preached night after night after night and nothing happened. He said, it was around the fifth night. I was up in the middle of preaching. That in the middle of the sermon, I said, I don't care if I have to crawl on the ground to get a move of God tonight. That's exactly what he said. As soon as I said it, I knew. He said, I kept trying to preach past it. I tried to keep on moving past it. And he said, but eventually I said, folks, I've got to do something. He got down on the ground and he began to crawl on his hands, his knees. And as he turned around, he bumped into somebody and there was the pastor crawling on the ground with him. That place went up in smoke. People received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. People that had cancer were healed of cancer because two men of God said, I don't care what I have to do to get a move of God in this place. I am desperate for a move of the Holy Ghost. There was a woman in the Bible that had an issue of blood for over 12 years and she had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor and the doctor had told her the same thing. There's nothing we can do for your condition but after she'd spent everything she had she heard that Jesus was passing by and you know what she did? She got so hungry for a move of God there was a crowd in the way and she began to press through the crowd and she got close enough that she leapt out and grabbed the the hem of his robe. Everybody was like, what are you doing, woman? You know you know what? Everybody can look at her like she was strange, but they were holding their body and they hadn't been visiting the doctor and they hadn't spent everything that they had. And this woman said, it doesn't matter what I've got to press through. I've got a need in whatever I have to do to get there. There was a man in the Bible that had a withered hand. And he was in the temple. He wasn't even allowed to because if you had any kind of deformity, like you weren't even allowed 
in the house of the Lord during that time. And Jesus is there. And Jesus looks at this man and says, stretch forth your hand. This guy's got a decision to make. He can show him his good hand. He can show him his strength or he can expose the weakness. And you know what he did? He got so hungry for God to move in his life that he said, here's what's wrong. Here's what I'm going to show you. And he exposed his withered hand. And you know what happened? The Lord healed him. There was a man on the side of the road that had been blind from the day that he was born. And he heard that Jesus was coming by. And he cleared his throat and said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. People came by and said, man, don't trouble him. Quieten your voice. But they were looking at blue skies. And they had seen trees. This man had never seen it. He said, you can be quiet if you want to. But I got a need in my life. And so he cleared his voice. And he cried even louder, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Every one of these circumstances that I told you, they were here. They were here in their dilemma. They were here in their sickness. They were here needing a move of God in their life. And they wanted to get to there. They wanted their miracle. They wanted their healing. They wanted a move of God. In order to get to there, you just need one thing. There's only one thing that you need. If you're here and you want to get to there, to your miracle, to your deliverance, you just need one thing in your life, and it's not complicated. You just got to want to be there more than here. And we claim that we want revival that will shake Jonesboro and this region upside down. There it is. There is the miracle. There is what God is going to do. There are the souls. If you're ever going to get there, you just got to want to be there so bad that it doesn't matter what price you got to pay. It doesn't matter what you've got to give up. You're all desperate for a move of God. If I gotta crawl, if I gotta roll, if I gotta press, if I gotta pray, if I have to open up my pocketbook, I am desperate for a move of God. I am desperate. I am desperate. And I'm gonna tell you what the will of God is. I'm gonna tell you what the will of God is. It is the will of God before y'all ever walk into that building for it to be completely paid off. It is the will of God for God to open up the windows of heaven and bring by blessings and pay pay that place off. But if that's gonna happen, somebody's gonna have to pray it down. You remember what the Lord said when you pray, pray like this. And he began to say, you know, let the will of God that's established in heaven be established on the earth. There is a will of God that's established in the heavens that is not established on the earth. And the only way is to to pray it down. God, we need the miracle. God, we need the signs. Somebody. The enemy is not going to go away quietly. He has already started his battle. He's tried to frustrate this man. This week, there's been frustration after frustration because the enemy knows that when they get to that place, the windows of heaven are going to open. So somebody needs to say, I'm going to cover my pastor and I'm going to pray the will of God. Somebody needs to go out of your way and pray over that property and say, I bind up the enemy. I bind up what he's doing. I loose the power of God. I loose the miracles of God. Huh. I'm going to lift your voice for a moment.
Come on, lift your voice for just a moment. In the name of Jesus. Somebody who knows that pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in the Holy Ghost right now. It is the will of God for your family to be saved. It is the will of God for your neighborhood to be saved. It's the will of God for the power of the Lord to move in this region. But if it's ever going to happen, somebody has got to get desperate. The enemy's not just going to open the door and say, walk on through. No, we've got to get desperate. We've got to get hungry. We've got to desire it so much that it doesn't matter what we've got to do. Come on, lift your voice for a moment. Hallelujah. I want you to stretch your hands towards your pastor and I want you to begin to pray in the Holy Ghost and ask God to cover him. The enemy will come after him and bring frustration in his life and try to wrap up his mind and get it so stuck on, no, no, we're going to cover him. The Holy Ghost is going to move. The power of God is going to move. Miracles are going to happen. Let's begin to pray right now. I cover my pastor. I pray a hedge over him, God. I pray over his family. I pray over his wife. I pray over their children right now, God. In the name of Jesus. Desperation is that first ingredient that's got to be put in. The second one is faith, believing it, being convinced of it. You are a lot stronger than you think you are. You have more power than you think you do. In Genesis chapter 1, after the Lord made man, he gave him dominion over the works of his hand. He gave him power and said, dominate what I have created. It was in Psalms 8, 3 through 6, is when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thine hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. In John 12, 14, 12 through 13, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he also do. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Matthew 21 and 21 says, Jesus answered and said, unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and cast into the sea it shall be done and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer believing you shall receive somebody say God we take dominion over this region we take dominion over this region we rebuke the prince and the power of the air rebuke it we got to believe. Levette, a lady from Louisiana, heard a message preached on the fearless 
faith of a saint. And within this message, the preacher said, quit saying that your family can't be saved or won't come to church. Told them, write the names of your family. Now, we can't do this because we don't have any room. So, but write the names of your family and put them on a seat beside you. And when someone sits there, say, hey, don't, don't sit on my family and claim that they're here. She had a husband by the name of Andre who was a drunk. He had a big drinking problem. He came home drunk every weekend. And she was so frustrated, something had to break. So she went in one Sunday morning and she got a pair of shoes, a pair of socks, she got a pair of pants, a dress shirt, and an, uh, and an undershirt. And somehow she put that whole thing together. She uh, tied the, the laces of the shoe in with the socks and she connected the pants and the shirt and, and had the undershirt on it. Somehow she, she made this figure of a man and she pinned it all together and she put a belt on it and she took Andre to church. Now, she put Andre uh, in the back trunk, which I'm sure she fantasized before about. The kids didn't have a clue. Nobody, she dropped them off in Sunday school and then she went out in the um, parking lot and she pulled Andre out of the trunk of the car and she came into church and she said, you know what? If Andre comes to church, I want him to sit where I sit, which was always on the front row. Pastor came by and she said, well, if Andre comes to church, I want him to meet the pastor. So she stuck out the sleeve of that shirt and said, I want you to meet Andre, pastor. Pastor, just kind of just reached up in that sleeve and you, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, this lady has lost it. She said, you know what? The music got the plane. She said, if Andre comes to church, I want Andre to worship the Lord like me. So she picked him up and she started dancing with him. They called for prayer. And she said, if, if Andre comes, I want him to be delivered of alcoholism. So she took old Andre up there and had them anoint the back of that collar of that shirt. And then she went home and she put Andre back where he needed to be. Put the shoes up, the socks up, all of that kind of stuff. And for eight months, he still came home every weekend, drunk out of his mind. She was up one Sunday morning and she um, was trying to not make any noise because he'd come in late, drunk. And, and so she was trying not to make any noise and all of a sudden she turned around and there was Andre. And uh, she's like, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to wake you. He said, no, you didn't wake me. And she looked, and he had the dress shirt she had picked out. He had the undershirt. He had the shoes, the pants, all of that. He said, you know what? I want to go to church with you today. So they, they came together, and, he, and she asked him, where do you want to sit at? She, he goes, I'll just sit where you sit. So she took Andre by the hand and took him all the way to the front. The pastor came out. She said, hey, pastor, I want to introduce you to Andre. And she, he shook Andre's hand. The power of God began to flow as they began to sing. And she stood up and she began to clap and began to dance. And Andre looked at her and said, well, you know what? I'm going to do that too. And he got to dance. And this is a true story. Clapped his hands. They called for prayer. And they took old Andre up in a prayer line. And they anointed him with oil. And within five minutes, Andre was speaking in tongues as God filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Somebody needs to have fearless faith. You've been praying for something a long time and the enemy has convinced you to stop praying. You need to pull that old faith back out and dust it off and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe.
Brother Shelton used to pastor down in Louisiana, and he said before every Sunday night service, they would have their staff come in. It matter if you, you know, somebody that was part of the pastoral staff, and there was a man there, um, looked kind of down, and he said, well, what's wrong? What's going on? He said, well, my boss has been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And it doesn't look like he's going to make it. They're going to do surgery on him on Thursday. I was wondering if we could pray for him. So they anointed a handkerchief. And, and uh, Brother Shelton told him, he said, when you put this in his hands, tell him to say out loud, I receive my healing in the name of Jesus. And so it was, it was the next Sunday. They all gathered in together. And he said, hey, what, what happened to your boss? He said, man, this is, this is amazing. you got to hear this. He said that I, I, on Monday I went in and I put that handkerchief in his hand. And I, I told him to repeat after me. I received my healing in the name of Jesus. On Thursday they went in and did all kinds of tests. And they could not find one trace of cancer. God healed him. Brother Shelton said, I said out loud, unbelievable. And when I said unbelievable, he said, it was like a curtain went up in my office. And the the whole office was filled with angels. And he said, and one by one, they begin to cover their face and begin to walk out of that room. And he said, what's going on? He said, that last angel turned around and looked at him and said, you said the word unbelievable. He said, we do not understand how what God does is unbelievable. We cannot operate in an atmosphere of unbelief. Brother Shelton said, I repented and I began to cry out, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. He said, the angels began to fill that room back with him. And he said, everybody that was in that office fell down speaking in tongues. And he said, we, we come out of whatever we were doing about an hour and a half later. We were already an hour and a half late for church. We're like, oh my goodness, nobody's going to be left. He said, we walked out in that sanctuary and there were people laid out everywhere. Seven brand new people had been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. People got healed and the angel told him this is the atmosphere that we can work in whenever you say I believe him I put my faith in him somebody's got to get a radical faith and say I believe when I say that that church is going to be filled over and over and over somebody needs to say I believe I believe I believe I got in church when I was almost 17 years old. I was two months from my 17th birthday. And I promise you, I'm almost finished. Almost, it was about two months from my 17th birthday. I got the Holy Ghost. I was down at Redfield. And I fell down at the steps speaking in tongues. They carried me back to the dorm room. I fell asleep speaking in tongues. I got drunk on the Holy Ghost. God changed my life. After I got my my. My whole family had been destroyed by drugs and alcohol. My mom had, had given herself over to drug addiction and alcoholism. And, and I'm, I'm proud of her. She's been off of all that stuff for over 25 years. Super proud of my mom. But after I got in church, my dad prayed back through the Holy Ghost. He'd been backslidden over 10 years. He prayed back through on the first sermon I ever preached in Pocahontas, Arkansas. That's pretty quick. You're praying for something. God, he, you know, save my dad. And a couple months later, dad receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost again. He's been serving the Lord. I prayed for years 
and years, over a decade that God would move in my mom's life. God, you got to move in her life. I gave up on the prayer and I stopped even praying it. This is the connection with me. Brother Clinton Curtis, he had asked me to come and do a youth rally. He would said, hey, you need to come to this. He put in the good word for me, and I came, and I was doing a youth rally, section nine. Uh, it's section nine, right? That's what it was. And I was doing a youth rally in Paragould. And uh, my mom calls me on a, uh, on a Saturday, and there was this guy. I was living in Fort Smith at the time, still am. He said um, he was going around saying that the Lord was coming back on a Saturday at 6 p.m. Anybody remember that? My mom calls me in the morning and says, Son, have you heard about this guy? He says the Lord is coming back at 6 p.m. I said, Oh, yes, Mom. What do you think about that? And I went on a 10-minute dissertation making up fake Hebrew words and everything else. And I said, you know, I'm just having a good time. And I was like, you know, from everything that I have studied and everything that I, the Lord is coming back tonight at 6 o'clock. She said, you don't mean it. I was like, yes, he's coming back. And she said, well, I'm going to call you tonight at 6 o'clock. I said, there'll be no need. I'll be gone. So ready to meet the Lord in the air. She called me at 6 o'clock. My wife is listening to this whole conversation. He's like, Really? My mom calls me at 6 o'clock, I don't answer. She calls me at 6.30, I don't answer. She calls me at 7, I don't answer. She calls me every 30 minutes and about 9 o'clock, my wife who has a heart looked at me and said, you better answer that phone. I answered and said, hey mom, she is bawling on the other side of the line. Oh, I thought that I was gone, that I had missed the rapture. I was like, whoa, mom, I didn't mean to scare you that bad. Oh, I'm going to get my life right. And I'd heard that so many different times. She said, are you preaching anywhere? She lives in Perigal. Are you preaching anywhere close over here? I said, matter of fact, next Friday night I'm preaching a youth rally in your hometown. She said, I will be there. I got up that night on a Friday night, didn't expect her, and all my faith was just flowing. She walked through the doors. I preached about soul winning, had nothing about praying back through. And my mom, who had been backslidden over two decades, I was able to put my hand on her head and watch as God refilled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I tell you that to say that I know sometimes it looks bleak. And you've been praying a long time for something, but somebody needs to stir up that gift of faith within them all over again and say, if he said it, I believe it. If he said it, I believe it. I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe God wants to heal somebody's body today. I believe that. I believe God wants to fill someone with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believe that. I believe someone has had an addiction for a long time that you're ashamed to mention to anybody else. But I believe today that God God is going to move in your life and break every chain of addiction. Somebody's been battling their past and they don't know how to come out for I believe today. God is going to wash that all away. I believe, I believe, I believe. I want you to stand in this place. I want you to lift your voice right now. I really don't want to say anything else. I just want the power of God to move. Oh, God, just baptize.
leaves this place with a hunger and a passion and a faith, God, that is unshakable. Let it mix all together today. Let the Shekinah glory of God fall on this place. Move in the atmosphere, God. Tear down walls. Break chains, God. Deliver and save, Lord. Do a work in this region right now, God. In the powerful name of Jesus. Oh, that's it. Somebody who has that gift of intercession begin to lift your voice right now. Oh, I'm finished. If you want to pray right where you're at, if you want to come up to the front, somebody just needs to pour out your soul like Hannah before the Lord. When you leave from here, let yourself be emptied. The Holy Ghost do a work today, God. Reach over and begin to pray with somebody right now. Let the Holy Ghost move.